the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is finally here, the Major League Baseball preview episode. Cousin Dan's going to join me in just a few seconds to break down payrolls, uh, teams to make the playoffs, division winners, prop bets, opening day starting pitchers, and their contract statuses going forward and uh, plenty more nuggets along the way. We're going to open with some free agency thoughts, some off-season thoughts, some things we thought should have happened that have not yet fully come to fruition. But uh, it's a full 40 minutes or so with Cousin Dan breaking down this week's opening day of Major League Baseball. Welcome. I feel like I've been teaching the show for about, I don't know, 11 weeks, right? 30 episodes. It's finally here. Uh, I know you've done a lot of homework on this. I appreciate it. I'm going to throw you some homework to start with. Uh, I've done the work on projected tax payrolls for 2023. It's been kind of an evolving process that we've all been a part of here, but um, I'm pretty confident as to where things stand. We're, we're certainly short some pre-arb salaries and things like that, but we're projecting those as best as possible. Here's how I want to open this up, Dan. I'm going to go from the top down, starting with the Mets, of course. Um, and I want you to stop me when you get to a payroll that you believe will not make the playoffs this year, all right? The Mets, the Yankees, the Phillies. I whoa could theoretically interject here. I are you gonna are you for, gonna cut my Mets off for the sake? No, 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 no. For the sake of this, I could see the Phillies having some issues, but let's let's keep going down the list because I I think. Oh my God, we're gonna battle. We're not even thirty seconds in. We're gonna battle. Yeah. So go, right. ahead. go ahead, keep going. All right, I, I'm I, I can understand what you're saying because the division. Let's uh just give me this the. Give me the first slam dunk. Let's put it that way. First slam dunk, definitely not going to make the playoffs. Mets. Right, exactly. Phillies, Blue Jays, Padres, Dodgers, Braves, Angels. Yeah, it's it's the Angels for me. That that's really I still struggle there. I know they're sort of a darling. I've liked them in the past. I want to wish cast it there. I do think there's still some issues there. So from my perspective, that's probably my first on the board that I would I would bet against making the playoffs. I can't argue it. They let us down ten straight years or so here, right? Um, eight, nine, and ten are really interesting, right? Angels, Cubs, Giants. There's there's a world where all three of them compete well this season, but probably not enough because of their respective divisions to get in, right? I guess the Cubs have maybe the clearest path, but uh, those three seem like on the outside looking in in terms of top ten payroll. Yeah, I th- there's a world where, like you just said, both where any of those teams make it in on a wild card yeah. there, things could also not break their way pretty easily. And they're way on the outside looking in. But um, that's kind of the range you've got to s- start to look at um, mm-hmm. in terms of like betting values, things like that. Um, at this point, you don't really I don't really think you want to. Um, be hammering the favorites as uh, things have separated a little bit. So um, this is kind of where the range that I like to the uh, contrarian in me likes to kind of wish cast some scenarios where Mm -hmm. if things go wrong among the top teams, how do they go wrong and who's there to kind of capitalize on that? And I think this is the range where that, that becomes live. Yeah. Depth injuries, all that, that you got to kind of roll that into the preseason part of this. It's, it's difficult because it's a marathon, but um, all right. Inverse conversation. I'm going to start at the bottom with tax payrolls. You stop me when you get to a playoff team, a slam dunk playoff team. Oakland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, 
Kansas City, Cleveland. I assume you're stopping me. So slam dunk, I'm going to really? put air quotes on that. Um, again, the division, I like that division a lot more than other people do. Um, okay. I mean, specifically the top three there, I think it's going to be a dog fight. Um, so should I keep favorite. going then, Dan? You, d- uh, well, I mean that, that division is just a coin toss. So it's kind of hard for me to say slam dunk there, but yeah, go, yeah. go ahead. Because I, there is quite a bit of a gap here till the next. Uh, I, I, that's what I'm next. thinking out loud here. How, how the hell far am I going to have to go? It's Miami, Washington, Tampa. Arizona, Milwaukee, I'm now in the top 20 of payrolls, Detroit, Minnesota, Seattle, St. Louis. Yeah, the, in terms of slam dunk or like likely, I mean, it's yeah. pretty much the Cardinals to me. Um, I do like some other teams in there, um, but very open-ended right now. <laughs> All right. So I, I think this was successful then for what I was hoping to get to, which is we're officially back in a pay-to-play league here, right? I mean, there's going to be some teams that sneak in. Tampa Bay is going to do their damage, right? They're the 22nd projected payroll right now. Cleveland, I I think I'm more confident than you are that they're going to kind of run the table again this year and at least be relevant. Um, So that's top 25 right there. But you're right. In terms of absolute slam dunks, it's top 16 payrolls right now. And that's where you have to be to really be considered a true contender for for mid-October. That's old school baseball, right? I mean, we're back to, you know, there's a lot of comments on Steve Cohen and the Mets and certainly what the uh, Padres have done to load up on position players. But there's a lot of teams now over the 200 million tax threshold mark. Not that, you know, they're really closing in on that 233 and won't get there, but it's at least a third of the league is healthily paying right now, which is better than I've said in most preseasons, Dan. So I do think we've taken some strides and I think the Mets have really pushed that envelope a little bit. But um, if you had to pick one absolute dark horse right now off the top, who's it going to be from, to make from, the a, playoff. from a financial standpoint? Um, I mean, how low can you get down there? And let's not even include Cleveland because I feel like, you know, they, they did their damage last year. They're a known entity now, you know? Yeah, to make the playoffs, um, I mean, if you want me to go low, uh, the Orioles, I think the Orioles have a shot to sneak in this year. Um, I think they have a good chance to kind of regress a little bit from what we saw last year with a bunch of young players. But I do like some of the moves they made. And, um, I mean, there is some opportunity within that division, I think. Um, So yeah, Also, because they haven't yet made that midseason move. You know, they're, they're still percolating on the outside of just, just developing, developing, developing. And if they even sniff that division in July, I think they're going to be active at the deadline, don't you? Yeah, for sure. We've talked about it. Um, there's going to be sort of a tipping point here where they choose to kind of accelerate right. things a little bit. And they've been stockpiling a ton of talent throughout their organization um, like specifically they, they've done well in the draft, but they've also really cranked up their international, um, yeah. their, their, um, involvement in the international market, which previous to this regime, um, the Orioles were very inactive, um, and mm-hmm. almost signed, almost signed nobody out of that, um, market. So they've really expanded things there, stockpiling talent to probably make a big move at some point, we think whether that's this year or not. Um, but yeah, I do. I think they're at least in the conversation as like a long shot to, to get in there this year. I mean, we saw them as a contender last year. Um, I think things could break similarly for them this year. 
All right, let's move to some of the moves that were already made this offseason. We haven't really talked too much about going backwards and some of the teams that did their damage and some teams that maybe sat on their hands a little bit. So I'll start with those questions. Which team had the best offseason in your in your opinion, Dan? Doesn't have to be from contract standpoint, just you know, just total package. Right. So it's hard, it, like you kind of just hinted at. It. It's very hard to quantify this because you could go a number of ways with this. Um, so from a win now perspective, I really liked the Blue Jays off season. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't see a ton of huge splashes, but they made a lot of nice complimentary moves, which kind of I think will pay indirect benefits. Um, just based on roster construction. Like we've talked a lot about George Springer moving out of center field. They brought in several options there. It's not even like one guy gets hurt. You're going to have to kick Springer back there. Um, the Dar- Dalton Varsho trade was nice. He's an option in center. You have Kevin Kiermaier there. Um, there's a lot of flexibility. You added a really great fourth starter and Chris Bassett. You have a really, really good top four now. Mm-hmm. Um, i I thought the Teoscar Hernandez for Eric Swanson trade was very savvy. Um, they now have like a real legit back to there with Jordan Romano, Eric Swanson getting you there. Um, I just, you know, highlighted the starting pitching. Um, you have a really deep offense now. Um, you, I guess you could maybe point to the back end being a little bit questionable, but I mean, I really like how things set up. So just to kind of like, I, I probably talked too much on the Blue Jays, but I, I really liked how they laid things out without really making like a wow splash signing, you know? So <clears throat> I love it. I think it's smart too. They, they moved on one of their catchers that we, you and I talked about. They had to do it. They had three notable catchers, right? They got some value back from Moreno. So I, I think that's, I, I think they quietly did the right thing in shedding some payroll, setting themselves up because guess what's coming? I mean, they're going to be, the team we talk about probably the most over the next 12 months, because they're going to pound, I don't know, 300, $400 million into payroll here soon. Right. With Vlad, with a couple of these smaller, smaller guys, it's going to be uh, an exciting time for Toronto. And I think it could start this year in the standings as well. The team you feel you know least confident about after a full off season of moves here. Well, so I mean, a number yeah, of not teams the pirates, that, not, you know, right, leave all right. the, the bottom feeders out of this. Yeah. All right, so this might raise your eyebrow. I know you won't like it either. I didn't love that the Mets spent as much as they did to essentially stay the same, if you will. And they're not the only team that did that. The Yankees basically did that as well. Um, so from like a financial viability standpoint, I didn't love all of the moves they made. Now, I still like the Mets this year. I just uh, – sorry, let me retract that. Financial viability, Steve Cohen, those – we don't need to really link that. <laughs> Um, they're going to be fine. All I'm just saying is like some, I'll just put it out there. I didn't love, I felt like they were boxed into a corner on the Brandon Nimmo deal. I really didn't. I don't like the term. I think he's like a prime regression candidate. He's really never had a fully healthy season until last year. Um, but bonafide leadoff hitter, which is valuable center fielder, valuable, um, hot commodity on the market. He got you know, the perfect storm for a perfect contract. So I just like, didn't love that. You've spent so much on Diaz, Edwin Diaz. I mean, injury issue aside, whatever. They just spent a lot of money to essentially run back the same roster, um, you know, swapping Verlander for DeGrom essentially. So um, I would say that, but I mean, there's a number of teams that were like sort of puzzling on like, what they did or didn't do. I mean, like, I okay, I could also lump the Phillies in here. I thought the Phillies 
you know, the Trey Turner was the Trey Turner deal was a huge splash, but I kind of enter this year feeling very uneasy about that team, which is sort of why I stopped you at the top um, coming down the, the payroll rankings here was because they're third in the league in payroll this year. And I have a ton of questions about that roster up and down. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if we're getting into that right now, but no, um, that's another, the division. it's, it's yeah, a fair think, point. It's a fair point. So I think that's another team that, you know, I didn't like necessarily love what they did. Um, but yeah, I, I, I could stop there. <clears throat> okay. I, I can't argue it. Um, there's a lot of that right now in baseball. A lot of uh, the grass isn't always greener, right? I, I think uh, teams get to free agency and, and certain players are out there looking around. And it seems like a lot of players are coming back to where they came from more than ever. Uh, a, because I think the money's available. And B, because I, I just don't know that. Did the Mets have a viable, better center field option, Dan? No, not at all. And they that's why I... you know. I, and nobody did. So if he would have landed and if he would have landed with the giants, the yeah. Mariners, whoever he was rumored to, I just thought that that is like the perfect setup for like a contract that is quickly regretted. I don't even dislike Brandon Nimmo. I'm just saying, you know, for a guy with one full really good season under his belt, he just offered all these other like um, sort of uh, lesser um, value or like, uh, like, less thought of values that um right yeah it could come crashing down pretty quickly so let me ask you is that the is that the free agent contract you're most concerned about then i think so pretty safely yeah 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 okay all right i, I guess we're here to bash the mets today that's fine no um, no really we're not too, because i mean i could easily pick them to win this division in five minutes so <laughs> all right the, the contract extension right so the the deal that pre pre precluded free agency or maybe one of the, the younger guys that got a deal laid on here right kybert ruiz corbin carroll the contract extension you love the most this offseason yeah you you actually just named both of them i mean i was we've talked before about corbin carroll i thought yeah. I I didn't think it was going to get I didn't think it was going to happen because I thought his financial ceiling was very high if he just waited a year or two and we could yeah, You see. were you were framing him in Julio Rodriguez company. Yeah, know? yeah, I like I think the junior version of that and that's not what this contract says. For sure. So that I mean but that's not like a knock or like I think it's a mm -hmm. great situation. I I love that Arizona is like picking a direction and trying to lock up that young talent around the core that should be coming over the next few years. They have some arms, um, some nice young arms there too, that we're going to see, uh, you know, if not break camp or, or later in the year here. So yeah, I, I liked that one. Um, the Kyber yeah, I was Ruiz, shocked they got it done, Dan. I really yeah, was very, very surprised as well. So yeah. um, Kyber Ruiz, it seems like a really nice buy low to me. Um, like the negative with him are like his hard hard hit stuff is, a big signal for like future success. He does not have very, a good track record in terms of like hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, things like that. Um, but he has like a really good hit tool, um, pretty good defensively. Just I, again, I just like that the nationals, a team where we have legitimate questions on how they develop talent and if they can develop talent, I, I just like that they at least, you know, they traded, they got those guys in the questionable Trey Turner, Max Scherzer deal, but they locked them, you know, they locked him up long-term. You could see them trying to do the same with Josiah Gray or other pieces that they've acquired here in the last few years. Um, I, I, I like that they made a commitment to a, a 
promising young player sort of before they saw it. Like, I, I think this time next year we could be saying, wow, yeah. that was a really good contract right off the bat. You know, That, that was going to be where I went next is, is do you think they're trying to get ahead of him specifically? Or is this more about optics? Because they went through an absolute shitstorm, right? For two years or trading every named player they could possibly trade. Uh, ripping out the you know the World Series version of that roster as quickly as possible. It kind of feels like the Los Angeles Rams right now, right? And uh, and now they're starting to slowly put the pieces back together. But you're right; it's really important, I think, for them to put these names specifically out there publicly. Kyber Ruiz, Josiah Gray, right? And Kate Cavalli is not going to happen, right? He's he's out for the year here. But the, those are the names they have to kind of flaunt right now to their fan base and to the rest of the league from an optics perspective, if they want to start attracting free agents, if they want to start, you know, building this thing back together from a veteran standpoint, otherwise it's going to look a lot like this for five years. And, and these guys are going to try to carry the load. And we know how that works in baseball. If there's one or two guys available, that's just not enough to win ball games. So I, I think you're right. I think it can be both, right? It's, it's, this player is probably a breakout candidate in the next couple of months. And uh, even if it's on a bad team, you have to get the money ahead of him right now for for player and team purposes. So I'm with you on, on Ruiz. I, I don't know why Corbin Carroll signed that contract. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's look, it's a boatload of money at, for a kid that's young, but he couldn't have more, you know, you know, flair around him right now. I mean, he is the breakout candidate. He's the fantasy darling. He's all over the boards right now. And I think he's going to hold up. And, and that's the part that I think is getting left off here is, you know, when he goes and steals 35 bags and hits 45 doubles and all the things we think are, are possible with this player and Arizona is third in the division and smelling it a little bit. And you know that those, uh, some of those pitchers are coming, like you mentioned, isn't he valued at 50 to 75 million more at the end of this season? Very well could be. And that's why I hesitated. Like at least we've seen the flash, like give us a full season taste of it. But I mean, again, yeah. to your point, we're not going to argue this a million no, times, hundred million dollars for a young kid. <laughs> but um, I mean, I just think we both thought he could just let it marinate. Like, like I, I think with both of these players, the point is, is the contract they signed, I feel is their talent floor, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like if they perform the way they have, like what we've seen out of the short, you know, the cup of coffee with Corbin Carroll in the basically one full season with um Kyber Ruiz like that's probably good enough to pay off the con like it's that good of a deal like eight for 50 on Kyber Ruiz that's probably never going it's almost impossible for that to look like an atrocious contract to that's right you know same yeah, with and, Corbin that's, and that's what the Braves are living on right it's going to look like a great deal and it's going to be a phenomenal deal for us in four years phenomenal right so we're going to we're going to make it look like a ton of money up front but in the in the long run we're going to be the ones that win. And then everybody kind of wins because he's still a rich man. And, you know, we've got value on our tax payroll and yada, yada, yada. Um, one more thing on Corbin Carroll. Do you think the Manny Machado stuff is factoring in with these young players at all? And the fact that this guy has now double dipped two massive gigantic contracts. He's had the control. He's on a good team in doing this. He's not, you know, scrounging at the bottom of the MLB standings to, to make a ton of money. Um, I, I feel like that has to be impacting some of these players versus, you know, just a flat out Fernando Tatis Jr. Give me $300 million and I'm done for my career, you know? It's a super interesting point. Something I have started to kind of like marinate on a little bit um, because I think we sort of say like, well, look, he's going to theoretically hit free agency at 31, 32, or like Kyber Wee's potentially 34. Like for some of these guys, that's really 
not that old in terms of them going to find another four, five-year contract if they're still a relatively elite player at, I don't know, 30-plus mil a year, 25-plus mil a year. So Mm -hmm. I guess I underrate that point a little bit that, you know, they do still have a big second contract in their future. I guess specifically with Corbin Carroll, I, like you said, it could be a very short amount of time, like the next three months, he could have doubled his value essentially, if you will. And, but you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to, you know, complain about yeah, what, what we also don't know is, is Arizona saying out loud, take this now, or, or you're not going to get an extension offer until arb three, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's something like that, but I think it was, I would be surprised if they had that angle with this, this yeah. type of, all right, let's move the divisions. Uh, it's that time of year. I know you've done a lot of work on this for fantasy stuff, for your own gambling addiction. Um, you've kind of gone up and down the path here. We're using FanDuel's win totals um, and, and odds in terms of division winners. Let's start with, I, I want to wrap these two conversations together, right? So um, if I just run through the division favorites, I want you to tell me off the top, um, is there a name or two that are favored to win their respective division that you think that's crazy? Just flat out crazy, not wishy-washy, not they might not, or they're an injury away. Just are any of these absolutely crazy Yankees, guardians, Astros, Braves, Cardinals, Dodgers. No, I wouldn't say crazy. No, no. No. I mean, I have some questions about some of them, but (laughs) yeah, Dodgers are quiet. Dodgers are essentially, you know, resetting their tax market so they can ramp up for Otani next offseason. I don't think that's even a secret anymore, right? Um, And still kind of the the runaway favorites in that division, despite what the Padres have done and to some degree what the Giants have maintained over the past couple of seasons. Do you feel confident? Because Vegas does feel pretty confident at a minus 125 here. Um, I, yeah, like I keep trying to get away from them and then I poke holes in like my, you know, in my contrarian theory here. So, so let's just like off the top establish this, that we're going to kind of talk about this in two ways. Um, first way is like who I in a vacuum think can win the division is the best team in the division. Um, and then I'll throw in some, if that team. If yeah. things go wrong, here is where I see value or something that, like my favorite long shots, things like that, where I, you know, I, I, I'm not just going to give you, you know, in theory, I like, I like all of the favorites. You can bet the favorites if you want, but we'll sprinkle in plus odds. There are some plus yeah. odds if you want to take the favorites. So you could, you could parlay a couple of things if you wanted and run with that. I want to say exactly. with the Dodgers real quick, Dan, because what you just said is relevant it is this team isn't bulletproof. They're not. And they've they've been piling up some bad news here, right? I mean, I mean, the Gavin Lux, the Walker Bueller, the, I mean, Gonsolin's injured. Who knows with Kershaw how many starts they're going to get out of that guy? I'm, I'm missing probably two or three items here. But this is a, I don't know, this isn't a perfect roster starting opening day, not even close. Are, are we just going to assume that A, some of the kids that, that are ready to ready to come up are going to produce at a, at a level that's going to hold the fort from a war perspective or B they're just going to acquire whatever they need to acquire at the deadline to maintain top of the division and essentially NL NL favorite status. Is that where we're going with this? Or do you think that to some degree they are overrated here? Um, I don't think they're overrated because I think the odds are pretty tight there. Um, yeah, so I, I, there are a lot of ways this can go wrong. I think some, 
some of the market is probably just siding on it's the Dodgers. They're always going to yeah. win. And, and to some degree, that is right, because as I have, like, you know, reiterated countless times, the over the course of 162 games, you know, we, we kind of narrow down a starting pitching staff to five players when really, in, you know, on average, a team can use eight to 11 starters in a year. So when you kind of zoom out and look at what people have beyond their starting nine starting five you know in mm-hmm. bullpen whatever it you it gets really interesting right because so pr- that's exactly here a lot of the sex appeal of the dodgers has kind of been whittled away lately but when you start peeling back the onion the next layers are are very good and hot you know the the replacement level is not a huge drop off where as i really like the padres i think they have one of the best rosters in the league, but when you start getting, you know, if you start accounting for injuries, it's very, very thin, very quickly. And I have some concerns there. So I keep trying to get away from the Dodgers. I can't just say that I don't think they're going to win the division at this point. Um, okay. Moving down. If you want a long shot, I really do think the giants have a shot here. Um, they're at 12 to one odds um, for anyone who hasn't looked I think there are ways that this goes right. Um, they've sort of run back the 2021 model here now for a second straight year. Um, it worked in 2021. It fell miserably last year. There's a chance it regresses back towards the 2021 stuff. Um, I mean, you added Conforto, which could be a nice piece. A lot of people like him as a bounce back. Mitch Hanniger was a nice um, you know, addition. I realized that they missed out on judge. They missed out on Correa. Um, but they yeah. still do have some nice pieces there. They brought in some pitching. Um, they have a nice starting five. They have some bullpen pieces. I, I like, where does it go wrong? They they're have the worst, probably the worst defense in the league. So uh, that is kind of where I like, can't get on board with them really making a run, but I do think it's a little bit closer than 12 to one. I like, yeah. I, I, if, if the Padres suffer, I mean, we already saw Juan Soto or, has an oblique thing who knows if that lingers if they lose a pitcher and if they lose any of those prominent guys from their starting five six top of the orders uh hitters i mm-hmm. it's gonna get real thin real quick and i think the giants are just as good so for you know for being almost even odds for the padres versus 12 to 1 for the giants that's one of my favorite long shots on the board the giants uh over 81 and a half for the giants seems like the bet i would make here for sure because uh, if you have faith that they're going to be a little bit better than advertised, that's where I'd go. I, that division is tough. That That's a tough sell for me. Uh, to make the playoffs is probably a decent plus odds. Um, but I'm with you. They There are a lot of people out there, and I'm kind of half in this camp, that believe that not having to sign Aaron Judge to $420 million and you know not having to bring in Carlos Correa on, on a leg and a half at $360 million could be a blessing in disguise because of what you're saying. It forced them to add three pieces instead. And we've seen that work so many times in this sport, Dan, so many times that if you've got an extra guy on the bench in late September uh, because he's a role utility guy that you brought in to fill a gap or, or to platoon or whatever, that guy ends up being the hero, right? It's sort of, the, <laughs> we've seen it over and over again. The Braves have done this now for a bunch of years in that division. And they they are kind of the, the, the NL East version of the Padres. They've got a starting nine every day that looks phenomenal, but then you start to look down their bench and it's like, what the hell? Then you get to July 31st and they fill that bench 
and they fill that bench with some of the young kids that that other teams are are deciding can be of asset to them. And uh, that's the problem I have with the Padres. And this is why I'm going to give the Giants the leg up. What are the Padres going to use as trade bait July 31st? I mean, that, I that's just failed. That's they're yeah, done yeah. with that. Every time they're involved, they're rumored to be in on a player with you know a a trade. Yeah. I I'm just like with what? I mean, it's been years. But I've been saying that for years too, and people still uh, mm-hmm. are able to find prospects they like in that system. So yeah, I totally agree. Um, with basically everything you said on the Giants, I think it regresses back towards. Um, also, just to point it out that what the judge would not signing judge not signing Correa really did for them is give them a ton of flexibility looking at this multi-year view yeah. on spotrack.com they have like almost no long-term commitments everybody's on options or done after this year basically um so there's a ton of flexibility with whatever they want to mm-hmm. do um whether that's in the that's trade market point. or in free agency in the next couple yeah, of years that's a great point uh let's move on to this nl central which i think is just the a dog fight. I know a lot of people love the Cardinals and I've seen quite a bit of them this spring. They look like the same old Cardinals who are going to kind of mundane us to sleep for three, four months, pop up out of nowhere in the end of June or early July and just look like this bruiser team again. Um, I assume that's how you assess them. Why aren't they a 90 win team though? Well, pitching. I have to say starting pitching. Yeah. Because okay. I do like the rest of the roster. Um, I like, we've just seen them well so i do like the pitching they have like we've Mm -hmm. talked about though they just don't have that bona fide top end guy now whether jack flaherty returns to that very very to be determined um adam wainwright velocity way down we could really kind of see him hit a cliff Mm -hmm. this year i don't think they're just going to cut bait by any means because of his status there but we could see a very very reduced role um pretty quickly this year i'm not calling for that or hoping for that i like the player um, have enjoyed watching his career, but, um, yeah. So nonetheless, Jordan Montgomery, guys like that, I think are primed for nice seasons, but I don't think the general public, um, thinks that. And if I think that win total was higher, people would, um, or too much higher, I think people would, um, stray away from it. So I kind of like where it is from a betting perspective. Um, I do like them. We've talked about Mm -hmm. how, deep their farm system is and how that is primed for a trade in my opinion whether that's corbin burns i've mentioned in the past brandon woodruff something like that um one of the miami guys maybe um so yeah i do like that number quite a bit okay uh i know you're down on milwaukee how down are you should they be the second rated team in this division right now in your opinion well i have varying degrees of down on them like i think they could I, so I really can't decide what to do with them. Um, mm-hmm. I think it basically, it relies on Christian Yelich, in my opinion. The roster hasn't gotten that much better. They're really relying on, sorry, the offense didn't get too much better. Maybe the Jesse Winker thing works out really well. Who knows? Um, but they're really just relying on their two ace pitchers um, with a pretty good, you know, pretty pretty solid bullpen. Um, I just don't know if they got too much better. Now, I think they were so disappointing last year that I think there's some natural regression the other direction there. But that is very much reliant on, you know, a a bounce back from Christian Yelich, which I think is in the cards. Just if it. How do you read the Corbin Burns stuff now a couple months removed from that? 
and that ugly arbitration hearing and, you know, his pending extension necessity and all that, right? Free agency is around the corner for him. Um, does he go out and play his ass off to get the hell out of town or does he show the body language? Does he go, you know what I mean? Does he bring the rest of the roster down with him essentially as the ace and essentially torpedo this season, not, not on purpose, just because of where he is right now from a mindset standpoint. Yeah. I, that's tough to read into. Obviously I know you're not asking me to like be hysterical. Cause, it's, cause I, it's funny, Dan, cause he is trying to make a big, a big buck here. He is trying to get a contract, and I don't think he wants it from Milwaukee. So, so how do you approach that if you're Corbin Burns on a team that you're right? It, this might not be a 500 team, in my opinion. Yeah, I think he's primed. I mean, I assume it's chip on his shoulder. Mm. He pitches well, to be honest. But I mean, could it could it affect him? Sure. Um, I I think the fact that well. I guess I can say I think the ship has sailed there, which is probably a little bit easier for him to just go. I mean, he's not going to say, well, I don't want to be here any longer. I'm going to pitch poorly. No, he's setting himself for up for a next contract. Whether they win or lose, I think that next deal is not with Milwaukee. Um, I don't really think that they're trying to salvage it because I think that they need to move on at some point and may not want to be the guy, the team that gives him um, the big, you know, two, what, right. maybe $300 million deal. Um so that's kind of where I think, you know, if he pitches really well and they fall out of contention, he's a prime candidate to get moved for. Yeah, I guess, I guess if I can say it differently, Dan, um, it's not, it's less about right. His attitude towards it. It's maybe how the rest of the team responds to the situation, because if, if the elephant in the room is this guy's out of here, maybe even in July, right. Just reading the tea leaves and, and how everything went this off season and where this guy's going from a monetary standpoint, does that just drain the rest of this roster knowing that essentially this is this entire sitch because without him right and Woodruff's right around the corner, let's be perfectly clear. But this is a very, very rough roster, right? Now there's some bats, you know, the, you know, the Franco situation, things like that. But um, I, I think this is second place down to fourth place pretty easily next off season. If, if it's without Corbin Burns and, you know, Devin Williams with one year left Woodruff with one year left at that point, it's really bleak. So, do they just start to rip that Band-Aid off now? Or do you think there's a there's a world where, because the Cardinals are flawed, they can actually compete this year? And, and going all in for one season makes sense for the Brewers. How would you invest in them right now? Um, I mean, I think the, the team, I mean, we've heard a lot from the players, actually, that they mm -hmm. think that they're ready for a bounce back and that their roster you know, they hit some bad luck last year, injuries, et cetera, and that they're primed for a bounce back. So I'm kind of, that, that's what makes me keep coming back to them is that like, I could see a place where this offense kind of over exceeds. They have two legit Cy Young candidates, a good back end of the bullpen. Um, but if they fall out of contention, you know, I think it's sell. And that's when you really get under, um, you know, they might be, be under a 500 team at that point. Right. Can you bet the Cubs then? Can you bet the Cubs to be there waiting to pounce if and when the Brewers decide to turn the switch to, to sell? Or are they just not good enough? Um, no, I like the Cubs actually quite a bit, um, especially in terms of like the betting side of mm -hmm. things. Um, so they could be on the board if you, they could be on the board as a six to one um, underdog in that division. I also think there is some, um, you know, 
some nice value on the 76 and a half win total for the points you kind of just outlined there. I personally like that team better. Um, I feel like the perception is that they're just the moves they made were not real, not real like flashy, right? The, you know, they have some nice young prospects that essentially got blocked, but in my opinion, Eric Hosmer has Mm -hmm. almost no, like there, there's no money tied to him. They can get out of that if they need to. He's not blocking a Matt Mervis if Matt Mervis is blowing the doors off AAA pitching, right? So I think people are like looking at those moves and going, well, Cody Bellinger sucks. Well, maybe Cody Bellinger is way better than he was yeah. the last two years in, in Chicago, right? So the pitching moves they made, you know, Marcus Stroman is pitching for a potential opt-out of his contract. He's got yeah. a player option next year. So he could be motivated to put together a nice year. Um, I think Jameson Tyon, it was like a nice, like low key move. Um, I think the Dansby Swanson contract was, would have been my second choice for, you know, behind the Nimmo deal is maybe questionable because that's probably going to, he's probably going to turn into a second baseman at some point and he's being paid as a, as a short franchise shortstop. But in the short term, I do like that. I like how things are constructed. Um, I, I think they could surprise some people is basically what I'm getting at. So if that 76 was 80, I would mm. be way less interested. Um, but I, I think they're, you know, if Milwaukee falls, Chicago is going to be the team that probably jumps there. Right. Tell me why the Phillies are third right now in the NL East, Dan. Have you looked at the bottom of their actually the back end the back end of their rotation or the bottom of their offense i mean like so i think people are can, can i put some words in your mouth yeah, do you think yes, they just completely outkicked their coverage last year and and now we were supposed to respect them as legitimate contenders but they're just not that and they didn't become that even with trey turner the the outkicking their coverage part of in the playoffs yes in the okay. regular season the regular season the Joe Girardi first half of the season they they massively underperformed even though we had outlined going into the last and in the last year we liked their offense but their defense left massive holes there were some questions on the pitching staff you know the depth there we saw that play out in the Joe Girardi days he couldn't rally the troops to get it you know to to save his job new coach, things worked out, they make the playoffs, right? I thought they were capable of making the playoffs last year. I didn't think they were going to, but they were capable of it. So that didn't surprise me. The lengthy World Series run is attributing an unfair, um, you know, tag to them. I agree. Um, The Bryce Harper, like, maybe he comes back, no issues. Like, I I know he's not going to play defense, that could still be an issue, right? So when you remove him for maybe half the season here, um, you just lost, lost Reese Hoskins. That's, you know, Derek Hall has had a nice spring. I don't know if he's a guy you want to give 600 play appearances to. Um, I mean, could they theoretically find a corner, um, you know, first base DH type on, you know, in the trade market or after spring cuts are made? Sure. Maybe they do. I don't know, man. It, the, the depth here is kind of scary to me. Um, and specifically the pitching, we've already seen Ranger Suarez hurt. If you lose Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler, 
it's going to get real thin real quick there. Right. So that's kind of where I am poking holes in, um, in that roster for a team coming off of a lengthy world series run. I just think the Braves are significantly better. And I do think the Mets are quite a bit better as well. Okay. I'm not going to argue that. Uh, There's no question that Philadelphia went farther than they should have last year, but there's also no question that Trey Turner is a top five player in this league. Um, Now that, isn't worth a pile of beans in a lot of cases, right? Mike Trout's raising his hand right now and for the last six seasons or so. But that, that is going to change their outlook a little bit. You know, I, I think a lot of last season, especially after Girardi left, was home runner bust. And that worked because they were hitting them, you know, and they were hitting them timely, especially late in the season. I'm not sure they have to be that team anymore, Dan. So can they be a simpler small ball team? Maybe. You know, especially with Turner at the top of that lineup, it's possible. Schwarber is a doubles machine. Um, but you're right. There's three names in that starting nine right now that don't belong there. There's no question about that. And there's definitely two, two and a half pitchers that scare me in that rotation. I, I just know as a Mets apologist that I, this team probably uh, isn't the World Series contender. But I have a feeling that there's going to be more power, more juice than than we expect. Uh they're better than the Brewers. They're better than the Cubs. They're better than the Giants, in my opinion. So are they the sixth best team in the National League? I think so. Maybe even the fifth. So that's close enough, you know, just to get in and do damage again. I, I wouldn't bet the under on this team. Let me put it that way. I understand where you're going with the, with the inconsistencies and certainly the concerns and the risks, but I'm not going to take any unders on the Phillies. Let's put it that way. I think the Mets have been documented enough. I'm not sure we have to touch on them too much. The Braves need a pitcher, right? They need one pitcher. They do. Yeah, they... That's doable. (laughs) They do, but again, I think that is another team that... Well, I guess they don't have a ton in the system like from a trade aspect, but I think that's a team that is going to be big game hunting um, an ace pitcher because... Like, do they need it necessarily this year? No, but we saw them kind of get at the head of the game uh, with a closer last year in Rysel Iglesias. They they traded for him with term on his contract. Um, the Max Freed stuff is not going well. He's went to arbitration with them. We've seen their track record in the past mm-hmm. where that doesn't work. So things are not like – so maybe, maybe Spencer Strider is like the ace of that team in the future. I still think that you're absolutely right. They need – you know, if yeah. – just the guys that are bad, you know, they had an injury there. Now the guys that are battling for that fifth spot, um, it's kind of thin there quick all of a sudden it's as well. So I think they're going to be, you know, added. Soroka, Anderson, they're, 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 there's been some misses. They moved on from Colin Miller. I, I, I just feel like they haven't been able to establish that top guy. They're, they're going to give Strider the chance to be that guy. I think he's a two. I think Strider's a two. So, you know, at some point in time with this phenomenal, you know, well, well con- contracted, starting nine that they're, they're going to put out there every day. They need a, a, an adult in the room on the mound is the way I'm looking at that team. But I think that's probably doable for that roster right now. Let's, let's finish with the, uh, the AL East. Cause I know you've talked about the blue Jays already, you know, the, the rays are projected to win 90 games. Again, that feels like an annual tradition, like no other. I, I thought you were going to talk Boston with worst off seasons. Uh, I certainly would have gone that route. I, I just don't understand. I, I really don't understand. There's It's one thing to replenish the tax pool. It's one thing to move out from, you know, one generation to another and have to go through some lumps. Um, 
in my opinion, Dan, they are suffering through the Mookie Betts situation still in Boston. They didn't handle it right. They got blindsided by his demands, whether contractually or get me the hell out of here trade-wise, because that even that felt like it was rushed and late. I don't think they got anything near what they, they thought they were going to get for that player, which was which could have essentially set them up for you know this next phase. Are, are they even close to 80 wins? They're a 78-win team, to, according to FanDuel right now. Are they even close to that, realistically speaking? The under on them seems like an absolute slam dunk. Yeah, which is why I want to think about it in a different right. way. Why is right? it there? Right. Why right. are they 78 wins? Yes. Right, which so made me start thinking, like, how do things here go right for the Red Sox, right? So I think they have a little of, like, the Cubs issue here where none of the moves that they made were real appealing. Mm. Um, But when you kind of zoom out, maybe things break right for them. Um, Mainly, I guess, the Yoshida contract was, like, the – the kind of you know the jewel of their offseason they got slammed for it right well yeah. we saw him have a really good wbc a yeah. lot of you know like um analytical people i follow really think that he could take off here maybe the power doesn't translate he's a legit 300 hitter um in that lineup so that could in hindsight look like a pretty good deal a few years from now um but i i do know what you mean it's not great i like I guess what I'm trying to say is like Adam Duvall is not a great signing, but he could overperform, you know, mm-hmm. in that lineup. Like there are ways that this goes okay, but I mean, I I do side with you. The seven like under seems like the obvious bet, but the fact that it's even there makes me want to kind of say like, well, what else happens for them to get there? So there's some things in the rot. Like maybe Chris Sale is a legit. I'm not going to call him Cy Young candidate, top 10 Cy Young candidate. He gets back to something like that. Maybe you have a, like a good three with Kluber, Pavetta, yeah. et cetera. But no, I, I'm drawing. Let me make three points. Let me make three points on Boston. Cause I, I, honestly, I want them to be relevant. The, the game is better when Boston's relevant. And, and this is disconcerting that this is now going to be three years in a row where they're, you know, kind of unwatchable even though there's some talent there from a young standpoint. But if we're just looking at projections, and I like I like this time of year look at projections because, qu- quite frankly, no other sport can do you know futures like baseball. They've been doing this for forever. There's one player on this starting nine projected to hit 30 home runs. That's Devers. And he's, he's projected to hit barely 30. There are zero players on this starting nine projected to steal six bags. And... 18 months ago, we're not even having this conversation, but it's going to be a part of baseball. It's going to be a big part of baseball for some teams. And there are teams that specifically targeted this offseason to get another 10 stolen base player. And you want, I think, three or four of those players in your lineup, at least sitting on your bench, right? Available on your bench. This team isn't going to hit home runs, isn't going to steal bases, and they're top two pitchers right now. And it's not because of injuries. It's because of how they constructed this are Corey Kluber and Chris Sale, as you mentioned. How do you have confidence in that team? You can't have confidence in that team. Confidence, I would not use. I am, I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to stretch Armstrong myself into like how, how do they get to 78 wins, which is the, is the Vegas total right now, right? (laughs) right. So you're right. That was the question at hand. You're right. And there are, so I mean, just to like things that are not in the current projected lineup, like, 
Jorge Alfaro is like a major league player. He probably he's on a minor league deal. He probably makes the roster. Aldeberto Mondesi is the guy that steals 30 bags there if he comes back healthy. Is he healthy? Who the hell knows, right? No. Trevor Story, just who knows what you even get out of him this year. All I'm just saying, if things go right, I'm assuming that's where people are going with this. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm not going to like sit here and vouch no. for the, the Red Sox any longer. So <laughs> Yeah, let's move off it. Uh, Pretty bad. We'll get to some props that include some of these win totals in a second here, Dan. We'll, we'll kind of clean that up a little bit. Um, are the Yankees the Yankees again? Because we were dead wrong last year. Let's be perfectly upfront about this. We we liked them. We didn't love them. And they were phenomenal for a long time. Was that Aaron Judge in his, in his year? Or is this team actually really built for, you know, annual, annual success like they had? Yeah, I tend to think... 2022 was more a product of Aaron judge. I mean, they were red hot in the beginning yeah. of the year. The whole team was, but as soon as they got cold, um, they struggled big time in the second half and uh, judge is pretty much what carried them. So they did make some moves, but even we kind of like, that was like a nice, if yeah. you want to, if you want to say they won the off season with, you know, with the Rodon signing or whatever, uh, I, I mean, things quickly kind of turned around there, right? So they went two months ago. They looked really good with a, a, a really nice starting five. We've already seen three of them get injured. It's basically Garrett Cole and a bunch of prayers at this point. Um, you compound that with the fact that they sent two major league pitchers off the roster, um, the Jordan Montgomery deal. Um, and then Hayden Wisniewski, if people aren't aware, he's going to break camp with the Cubs and looks very good. And he came over in the um, uh, uh, Scott Efros reliever deal. Um, so you they they need pitching badly. And they sent two major league um, players away and then signed Carlos Rodon to a big deal. Already had some injury concerns. That's probably not going to look great to start. So, yeah, man, I have major concerns about this. They basically offensively just re-signed Aaron judge and ran it back with everyone else hoping from his, you know, a Harrison Bader. We see similar to the Brandon Nimmo thing when he got hurt leadoff hitter center field option, everybody panicked. So yep. that is a testament to the lack of depth in my opinion on this roster. So again, if things happen, injuries happen, it gets thin real quick. I don't know how they're a 95 win team this year, but that's just me. I'm willing to be proven wrong yet again. Is, is there a world where Glaber Torres or Oswaldo Peraza are, are turned into one of these holes that they have right now? Maybe even before the season starts. So yes, but I mean, yes, I don't really know if, Torres is getting you like an impact player at this point. I mean, Peraza, I'd be a little bit more willing to listen to that on. Um, I mean, maybe they move off of like Dominguez, one of their big prospects or something, but it looks like Anthony um, Volpe is going to bring great camp with them. He's a rookie of the year candidate. Yeah. So, um, man, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it just seems thin to me. It seems so thin to me that if if Aaron Hicks yet again is going to get prominent time in center field on this roster, Man, something went wrong in the offseason. I just I, I just think it's then. Okay. So let's move on to some prop bets then because uh, I've been waiting with a couple of teams on purpose because I figured you'd be addressing them in this conversation. Uh, I want to talk 100-win teams. There's a bet on DraftKings 
where you can basically take a stab at the over under on how many teams are going to win a hundred ball games this season. All right. Before I give you what the over under is, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what the last five seasons non with 2020 excluded have been. Okay. Last year we had four teams at a hundred, hundred plus 2021. We had three 2019. We had four 18, three 17, three. The over-under on 100-win teams for 2023 is two and a half. A, would you take the over? And if so, who are the three-plus teams who are winning 100 ballgames this year? I think I'd take the under on that this year. Like The teams that I think historically get there are a little bit um, watered down this year and less likely and i think like the parity within divisions like i i think most divisions have three strong teams like as we kind of went through there i think there's very few runaway trains i mean we didn't get to them some people would probably say houston is the most likely to run away with that division i can make counterpoints to that even though i might look stupid five months from now but there's i think there's a ton of parity across the league and there's less like powerhouse teams like i think if I, I, I think Arizona Houston are the two, like obviously probably the two favorites to get there. Now who would be the third team in there? I'm like less confident in that, but wait, you said Arizona, um, Atlanta. I'm sorry. Atlanta. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So you think Atlanta and Houston, you don't think the Dodgers have it this year. Um, they could they could get there. I think that division um, beats up on itself a little bit more than in past years. Like even the even with the Diamondbacks getting into the fold there, right? If they carve, um, a, it, you know, if they add a few more wins to their total and take it away from the Dodgers, Padres, Giants, etc. If they all just, you know, there's they, a, there's a, they won 111 games last year, Dan. Did they get 11 games worse this year? There's a lot of questions with the pitching staff if they're going to be relying on you know mm-hmm. prominent inning totals from like the back end of their starters you know if like Kershaw is like their stabilizer in that rotation and you know we've seen him have injury concerns if you're like you know they have just to back up again though the guys that they are going to be bringing up to replace you know they're they're very good they're very, very good, good pitchers Bobby yeah. Miller you know Michael Grove, guys like this, they're very good. So, yes, they they would be the team that sneaks in there, I assume, right? Vegas agrees with you. It's the over that that gets you the positive odds right now. So if you're betting the under, it's not worth your dollar. But if you think three teams are going to hit the 100 win mark, it's a plus 155 right now, and it's worth your time. And then you can actually go and identify those teams. And I'll tell you right now what Vegas thinks in terms of win totals. Uh, through DraftKings, it's Dodgers, Braves, Astros, Mets. Those are your top four. Uh, all of them are plus odds. So you could take just the Braves, if you're confident, at, at plus 115 or just the Astros at plus 120 to win 100 games and, and win a little bit of money there on that. Um, I, I think there's a chance, Dan, that five teams do it this year. Really? Yeah, I I know you're you're calling for parity, and and I I love it. I love. I think we have it to some degree. I just think that the depth conversation you're having exists with more rosters than we're making note of here, and that Arizona, yes, has a lot of nice talent coming up, but not for 162. 
You know what I mean? There's going to be a cutoff point where Arizona looks like Arizona at some point this season. I think the Cubs are going to go through that as well. Um, and by the way, you made mention of like the Giants and, and the Cubs are in this boat too. You've got to be aware of teams that are on that one all in one, you know, one year tender situation. Because when you've got a boatload of prospective free agents or pending free agents, those are generally the teams, if they're not in contention, that sell like crazy at the deadline, right? They sell their part. And that's going to be worth four or five losses right there. So I, I do think this thing evens out a lot more than Vegas thinks so right now. And, you know, that the Phillies, if you're right, if the Phillies really don't have it, I'm not sure they're going to keep, you know, the bottom third of this lineup for too long or, 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 you know, think about Aaron Nola considerably if they can't, you know, are they going to let him get to the winter, the winter as a, as actual free agent, or are they going to do something about it before that? So there's a lot of conversations to be had with contracts that lead to teams blowing it up in instances where their win totals may be one thing now, but they might mean a hell of a lot different, you know, come June or July when the actuality of the season kicks in. So uh, I would bet the over on two and a half. And I'd be pretty confident with it. I think at least four get there. Um, I don't know that the Mets are one of them. I think there's been too many circumstances and that the vision is difficult. If the Padres are healthy, Dan, and they don't have to rely on that third guy on the bench or the seventh starter out of the bullpen, they're dangerous as hell. It, Juan Soto, a resurgent Juan Soto year is the easiest bet in the world right now to me. And if that happens, what, what else falls into place? We're not even talking about Tatis Jr. numbers that are going to come in here in, you know, in May that they've been completely you know, deprived of now for a lot of reasons. I, I have no reason to believe that the Padres and the Dodgers shouldn't look like you know, last year's Braves and Phillies or Braves and Mets, which was a crazy division the whole year, right? Back and forth, up and down, and then the Phillies got involved late. But that's two 100-win teams right there the Braves and the Mets, you know, and why can't that be the Dodgers and the Potters? It should be. And then if you just factor in Houston, you're at three. So I, I think this is a pretty easy bet to make. That's why I put it at the top of this list. Um, I could talk myself into a lot of good situations. Stolen bases, Dan. Number one, are we overrating the stolen base prospects right now? Do you think it's going to be much, much less of a conversation in about a month after we all settle into these new rules? Um, I think I think everybody is just adding on steals for every uh, like yeah I think the sep it, the, it will separate more where the elite guys are like base dealers it's not just the base is bigger or whatever like they're going to gain the system just like Max Scherzer's being you know using the pitch clock to his advantage mm -hmm. smart base runners who are fast and good at you know good at running you know good at stealing whatever they're going to use this to their advantage in terms of the, the, you know, the limit to throw over and the clock and et cetera. They're, they're going to maximize this now. Non elite, you know, guys who aren't fast, et cetera, they're not going to benefit that much from it. Now they can add a few here, but I don't think you're going to see massive, massive changes, uh, you know, in that group of players. Our, our so. team's going to change the way they approach the stolen base, though, because of the lack of shift, because of the bigger bases, because of the pitch clock and the throwover rules. Because I have data right here that says that that has not been the case for a long time, right? And in fact, it's exactly the opposite. Here's the, here's the, the data set I'll show to you. I went through and I found the stolen base champion every year from 2022 back to 2014. Okay. 
And then I went and looked at what that team did that respective year. It's been 10 years since the stolen base champion went to the playoffs. Legitimately 10 years. 2013, Jacoby Ellsbury won the World Series with the Boston Red Sox. Since then, the stolen base champion has finished fourth, third, fourth, second, last, last, fourth, third, fourth. Okay. In other words, this is how I'm reading the stolen base in Major League Baseball over the past decade. Bad teams use it because it's their only way to get base runners over. They don't have a guy at the plate that they trust to, not, to hit a base hit or hit the ball out of the ballpark, in which case they, don't, they, they wouldn't take that pitch out of the batter's hand, right? Good teams haven't been doing that for a long time because they trust the bat and they, and they, and they know that a home run is worth way more than a stolen base right now and, and the risk that it comes with it. Is that going to change at all because of this new rule set or is that still going to be the Houston Astros mindset and the Atlanta Braves mindset teams that know that analytically speaking, the stolen base for the past decade has been for bad teams to use. <laughs> so it's a, it's a really good conversation. It, the separator here is that good teams identify yeah. when a player is not successful enough at it. Right. So there is a threshold where if a player, I, I do not have the number in front of me. Um, but I think it's like 80, I, I actually shouldn't even say it, but let's say a guy is an 80% base dealer versus a 70% base dealer. That is a huge jump, even though we don't think it, but from an analytical perspective, numbers mm -hmm. perspective, they're looking at that. And that has massive, massive, comp, you know, um, ripple effects. So you're, you're right. So, I mean, it's hard to separate. In the past, the Royals um, old coach, Ned Yost, was a big proponent of stolen bases. They always led the league. Mm -hmm. You know, they were good for two years there, and they kept stealing after they got, you know, after they were on their decline. So um, on, the, on the converse, Terry Francona has always liked guys who can steal bags. Um, he's always had like an off-the-bench bag stealer on his roster. Um, he's been pretty successful with it. So I think it's teams just identifying who's good at it within the threshold that they want to maintain and letting those guys go. And if they're not going to meet the threshold, then they just don't let them steal. Right. So um, there is some validity to that. I think we're just, you know, if just because there's new rules, which should promote more stealing bags, steal, you know, stolen mm -hmm. bases. If a player attempts it and he's still not good at it, they're not going to let the guy because they, you know, steal bags just because they think there's a higher percentage. Are you, are you, I know you've done a lot of work on this with fantasy already. Are you seeing lineups change in this regard? Because that's the other thing, right? If, if a team even had the balls to sign a stolen base player, right? A, a, a guy who generally just steals bases and doesn't do much more. They're going to be at the bottom of the lineup, right? They're going to be batting eighth or ninth down there with the, you know, with some of the bottom feeders. So the chances of them to be successful or to actually impact the roster hasn't been great. Is that changing? I know Trey Turner is going to lead off for the Phillies, but he can do a hell of a lot more than steal bases. Are we seeing players like this get get integrated inside the power a little bit so that they can be on base, they can impact the, the, the lineup a little bit more, or is it still going to be a drawn-out process where you know these guys are going to have to do their work kind of on their own? Yeah, I guess we won't really know the impact uh, like is it coincidental that miles straw is at the bottom of the cleveland lineup mm -hmm. or is it because he has a bad obp right but he steals bases same thing with um jose siri in tampa he's going to be the starting center fielder because he's a premium defender he's a really good candidate for a 2020 season he's going to hit ninth 
he could also be a two twenty two thirty hitter, right? So is it a quint like are they sticking him at the bottom of the order to like impact you know, the game from the stolen base perspective? Maybe I think it's more about just the profile. Um, but there's going to be opportunity. Like those guys are still going to, if there's opportunity there, um, you know, just because it goes to the top of the lineup and Jose Siri is 18 of 20 stolen bags, they're going to let him go a little bit. Right. So um, I, I don't know. We're going to have to see it play out on the field in my opinion, but may, maybe, maybe managers start going towards that a little bit, you know, like a second leadoff hitter type. Two more <clears throat> questions in this regard. Cause I, I find it fascinating. It's just a different way to look at the game. Finally. Um, do you know who won the stolen base champion last year? Who was the stolen base leader last year? I think John Birdie. Oh my God. Only you. Of course he did. Yeah. John Birdie, Miami Marlins. Would you bet that the stolen base champion would come from one of these contending teams we're talking about based on the data I just gave you? It, it, and I'll be upfront. The, the favorite, the betting favorite is absolutely on one of these teams. Would you bet him? Well, I assume that what is the favorite Turner, Trey Turner? Acuna Jr. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, you I would. mean, the, it's just the play. I'm more player profile. I think he's a guy who's going to steal bags. Yeah. Like, I think Luis Robert is going to steal bags. Yeah. I think, um, you know, Trey Turner is going to steal bags. It's just, so yeah, whether he's, you know, I don't think it's just like a team philosophy. Like there are teams that almost never steal or never bunt or have right. like philosophies, you know, but I don't think it's going to necessarily play into to this right here so much. So my money's on a bad team. Okay. You mentioned Montessi. I just don't think he's going to be healthy enough to, to get the, the chance. Me neither. He's a top three guy though. on this list. Interesting. Uh, I, I like Cedric Mullins quite a bit for this. Who's a top five candidate. You can get plus, you know, plus 11 odds here. Um, I'd put Corbin Carroll in this conversation. He's in the plus 15 range. Anthony um, Volpe. What's, what's he at? Is he even on the list? He's a plus 23 now that he's, he's been made, he's made the roster out of the gate. Yeah. So I mean, he's a question of if he sticks, I mean, if he come, let's just play this yeah. out. If he, if he break, I mean, he's breaking camp with the team. If he's successful, he sticks all year. In my opinion, if he sticks yeah. all year, he steals 40 bags. That's my prediction. It's a question on if you think he sticks all year. That's that. That's at least what I think. So okay, <clears throat> and that's a team that didn't steal bases. They had absolutely no business stealing bases last year. So one player in one situation, and and I think a a set of rules now that really reflect players like that being more involved in the game. I I think you're right. That guy could come out of nowhere and, and sneak that. And by the way, it's going to impact his rookie of the year candidacy too. So uh, if, if at the end of the day the Yankees are involved in that, you know they're going to push that envelope. Well, and to speak to that point, I I could be wrong on this if other people bet the line. I think a few weeks ago he was like 22, 23 to 1 odds rookie of the year, and that jumped to like four and a half, five, yeah. basically when the news of him breaking camp um, happened. Yeah, so just don't sleep on Corbin Carroll. Don't don't forget about how good he's oh, been yeah. for a long time. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. he, this Volpe stuff's going to drive the conversation because it's New York and it's the Yankees. Exactly. He's, he's a hell of a good player. He's earned this right. But there's a lot of talent out there right now sitting on, the, you know, about to break camp and be everyday starters, especially Carroll, who's a, a stud center fielder. I got one more angle for you, then we'll get out of here. The judge home run stuff is obviously fascinating. Nobody's assuming 62. Nobody's assuming anything like that. I think the overrunners I've seen are 42, 45 around there, right? Um, is he still the home run champ, Dan? 
There's some um, really fun versus head-to-head bets on on DraftKings right now that I, I just I enjoy the hell out of stuff like that. So you can do Trout versus Judge and Alonzo versus Judge and Alonzo versus Trout and just who's going to be at the end of the day. And I ran some stats and it's pretty darn close. I mean, obviously Judge had the historic year last year, but um, you know, there's a world where Pete Alonzo is actually a more consistent home run hitter than any He's- of those. Uh, without even looking at a list, he would be my favorite to supplant him as, as though, I mean, like just yeah. a few quick names. I think Alonzo is like, I think he's a dark horse MVP type this year. Like yeah. you'll love hearing that for me. He's 16 to one, I believe. Um, home run leaders. I mean, if George, if Jordan Alvarez is healthy um, for 140 games, he can legitimately hit 50 home runs. No problem. I think he needs to be in the conversation. Um, a really good name. Uh, Can I give you one at 40 to one um, that I just think is going to be asked to do a hell of a lot more this year for for a lot of the reasons we talked about. Mookie Betts is 40 to one, Dan. Mookie Betts hit 35 home runs last year. He's he's hit 40 in the past three years. He's going to be right there. All that all that means is that we're not going to have a 50 home run hitter this year. Right. And then he's going to be right in the conversation. That's all I'm saying. If we don't have an historic season out of somebody. There's like eight guys that are going to be within one or two of each other, you know? And, and I think the judge stuff is, it, it stretched us out to a point of where it's, nobody else is going to reach there. It's just not, you know, it's not something you would ever put your money on. But if it normalizes back to the 40, 42 range, you've got a ton of people that you would put money on, don't you? Oh, yeah. Schwarber's in that yeah. conversation. And I mean, there, yeah, ton, there's a number of guys that I could make a case that could, could get to 40 for sure. Yep. And I'll give you one more. Julio Rodriguez is 30 to one. Julio Rodriguez is going to do a lot more than hit home runs. So I'm not sure I put him in that conversation to some degree. That's how I, I feel about Mookie Betts as well. Uh, just uh, doesn't care enough to try to hit the ball to the ballpark every at bat. But uh, that's a name you have to think about for sure. Juan Soto is got to be in this conversation, even, even though he's a similar hitter at 30 to one. Those are just really strong odds for really good names who could get hot and have ridiculous months, you know, that put them way above everybody else for a while. So uh, it's a fascinating bet to make. Judge is plus 500, which I, I don't even know. I, I should have looked. I don't even, what is the back to back ratio in this league? It's got to be impossible, right? After going through what he went through last season and then all the, you know, the extension conversations and blah, blah, blah. Does he even have the manpower to, to put up a, a season like he just had? Something even close to that, Dan, in your opinion? Well, I mean, no. I mean, it was a, it was a historic. No way. So for yeah. Even people counting on fifty is a stretch. I mean, he's got to get like he has the power to do it, but just like from a sheer numbers perspective, you need the full season, which he got last year. Hasn't had his whole career. So, I mean, just from a logic perspective, it's an easy under for me. But it's not because I don't think he's capable of hitting sixty home runs again. I just think it's massively unlikely, which the numbers would suggest that as well. So, yeah, um, it's within reason. But yeah he could be a, just an, another 40 home run hitter like we've seen in the past. Right. So, and which would still be a tremendous year, yeah, would, but which would be perfectly fine by the way. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you ran some numbers on opening day starters. We'll run through this real quick. Cause I think some, some of the stuff is pretty fascinating. Um, anything that stood out to you with the guys who are going to get the rock for day one here before I kind of go through some of the data. Um, no, not too much. Not really too much surprising. It's pretty much consistent. Um, I mean, I, just like a couple of the pre-arm guys you're going to talk about, just sort of like yeah, how young they are and low service time players they are to be uh, already uh, the opening day 
starter, whether that's a testament to how how bad their team is or how good they are. Um, I, we could I don't think so, right? I, basis. But yeah, no, I think they're good young players for the most part. Yeah. Exactly. None of these names really stand off to me as, you know, what the hell's going on there. I mean, not even Oakland, who's actually got a legitimate starting pitcher here, uh, despite a 60 million payroll. Uh, there's some there's some pending free agents to talk about. Obviously, Otani, uh, who's going to get the rock for the Angels here to start, is the preeminent and the only really the only name worth talking about for the long the long haul of the season uh, until something happens or the Angels bottom out. And then we have to talk about him as a trade candidate again. Um, Julio Urias is a name, Dan. I mean, talk about the Dodgers being back in the forefront. Are they, is this the guy they're keeping long term? Is he going to be the next big Garrett Cole type contract? Is he that kind of player, or do, or do they have enough talent in that house where they might have to let that one walk too? Because I feel like they're letting most of their big, their preeminent free agents walk right now in, in LA, and that's that's a testament to what they are as a as a as a franchise from top to bottom. But at some point, you got to pay, right? Yes, I love that you brought him up. He is not a guy that is loved by projection systems. So if you go look at anything, he's not going to be at the top of any list to have breakout year. I think a lot of that is he's just not like a high K percentage guy. Um, he's more of like a strikeout per nine, um, whereas these other guys have, you know, DeGrom is approaching, you know, 30%. These guys have, you know, Garrett Cole can clear 250Ks, no issue. Julio Urias is not that guy necessarily, but he is he's been kind of service time gamed most of his career he really yeah. hasn't been given any type of leash this is the year that the dodgers have to lean on him i love him for over 200 innings this year um i think he has a massive year and i guess my i'm what i'm setting up is maybe he pitches himself out of a contract there if he pitches so well cy young contender you know contender mm -hmm. candidate um He's going to get a mat. He could be the premier uh, pitching free agent on the open market come this time next year um, if things break right for him. Now, the Dodgers are one of the pre, you know, the, the best yeah. franchises in the league. They can they can pay him the money if they want to, if they choose to or not, is is a different question. So um, I do like him uh, a lot as a potential, um, you know, riser here. So. Yeah, no question. He's he stood out to me in terms of where this could be going. And you're right. If they're going to lean on him, that's only going to benefit him when it comes to contract talks. Uh, Minnesota gets Pablo Lopez from the Miami Marlins, a move we thought the Yankees would make at some point in time. They probably should have in hindsight. Does this make them? Are they back in the conversation, Dan? That's a team we really didn't talk about too much. They just get they get snubbed by the injury bug. It seems like every single year. And even these young kids that are, that should be growing into what could be a core. I feel like it's going the opposite direction right now. It feels a little Milwaukee-ish in Minnesota, whereas they should be rounding into form, and it, and it feels like it's crumbling a little bit more than it should be. Yeah, yes and no. So I'm really puzzled on this division. I actually have a bet on on the – despite being a Guardians fan, hmm. I did bet – I have the Twins in a parlay bet um, at uh, pretty good odds over 2-1. Two, two to one. Um, And here's why. It's a, de it's a depth thing. Hmm. Um, I liked the moves that they made. Um, the Pablo Lopez thing just sort of stabilized it. I think they have a nice rotation. Um, like you outlined, they were easily the worst um, injury luck team last year. There's a really good chance that regresses uh, towards the positive side of things. Um, you bring back Correa, you add, like, say what he is, Joey Gallo could put up 30, you know, 35 mm -hmm. home runs if he can hit over 220, you know? Um, 
Max Kepler, prime candidate for um, a bounce back year um, with the shift changes, things like that. Um, I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but my point is, is the depth here, they have a lot of nice young players that if they suffer any injuries to their starters, they can go to those players. They're not, they're, they're promising young talents, specifically the pitchers. They have really probably eight guys on the staff that I feel very confident about. And as starting pitchers, you know, Bailey going down to Bailey over Simeon Woods, Richardson, Josh Winder, guys like that. Um, that next layer of depth there is really nice. In my opinion, they have a solid bullpen. Um, I just think they're a bounce back candidate team. So I do have bets on them, even though I think that division is a total coin flip between Cleveland, Minnesota and the white Sox. I think any of the teams could emerge. I'm simply betting on the depth with the, with, uh, the twins. Um, Pound for pound, I think the White Sox have a better roster, though. And pound for pound, I think the 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 Guardians are a better all around team. But I do think the Twins are. I, I do kind of like where they they've settled in there. So nine of the thirty two opening day starting pitchers were brought on via free agency at some point in time, not necessarily this year. About looks like about a third of them were this year. Um, four of the thirty two are pre arbitration still, as you mentioned: Hunter Green, Kylan Muller, Shane McClanahan, Alec Manoa. Uh, six of these players have already been extended, whether that's their first or second long-term veteran extension. And then uh, the rest, 13 of them are still in arbitration. Uh, a couple of them on the backside here, we mentioned Urias and Otani. Most of them have at least one or two of arbitration years left in them. So uh, these are names we're going to see for a while, is my point, right? There's not really, outside of Scherzer, who's maybe you know truly and grinky for sure, uh, uh, maybe Kluber in this conversation, are, are very much at the back end of things. It's a pretty stable list right here. And by the way, not, there's not a lot of names here because they're replacing an injured player. You know what I mean? We've kind of avoided that so far. Knock on wood with three days left here. This is pretty much the list. This is These are the first horns, horses in the barn here for the most part. Um, it's a nice list. I, uh, I think we're going to have both Cy Youngs on this list. Do you agree with that? Is yes. Is that a bet yep. you would make? Would you take um, the field or would you take this list for Cy Youngs? Ooh, that's that's... Yeah, I think so. I think there's enough really good names, even like lesser tier guys, like, you know, Framber Valdez that people might not like. I, I, yeah. I think that's a pretty good assumption. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just a lot of guys that need it bad. You know, we mentioned your race. We mentioned Corbin Burns, uh, Max Fried's got to turn this thing around. Otherwise Atlanta's going to move on at some point. They're just going to give up on that situation. Uh, I mean, you know, you got to throw Scherzer in this conversation because of now what he's going to have to take on with, with just the rest of the roster. And, and oh, by the way, him knowing that Edwin Diaz isn't there in the ninth inning is just going to make him want to go nine innings more often. That's just Max Scherzer's mentality. So if you think that's not going to impact his Cy Young possibility, you're wrong. Um, it's, it's a nice set of names. So I'm excited for Thursday and Friday. Any parting thoughts before we get this thing really kicked off on Thursday, Dan? Yeah, I'll be quick, but my maybe two hottest takes we had to breeze oh over. Oh, my God. So Those are really allowed on your podcast. That's for Twitter, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll give you two. My favorite a, my favorite MVP bet on the board, hmm. um, C- Christian Yelich, 100 to 1 odds. He's a two-time MVP the situation in Milwaukee is basically the same as it was when he won two MVPs rumored that he's been injured the last two years when he was terrible. Oh, and he did you is make going to, I did make a prominent bet on this. <laughs> okay. All right. Keep going. He's, he's going to lead off there. He's a lefty hitter should benefit from rule changes. 
My yeah. point is at 100 to 1 odds for a two-time MVP, it's there. He is the guy in that lineup. If that team has success, it's because of him. I slammed that at 100 to 1. My other favorite long shot on the bet, we in terms of like a greater thing, division winner Texas Rangers to beat out the the Astros and the Angels and the Mariners by yeah. the way. So here, here's my breakdown real quick on that division. I think the Verlander departure from Houston is a bigger deal than people think. There, that that rotation is now going to lean on Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Javier, who have mm-hmm. only put in one full season of work. So to rely on them for 200 more innings, again, healthy, et cetera, I think there's a chance that that is a tall task for those guys. Then you go to Jose Urquidy, Hunter Brown. There, there is depth there. They have a ton of talent in their system that could replace those guys. But all I'm saying is that I think Houston is a little bit more susceptible um, to not running away with that division than the public perception is. Um, we already saw Jose Altuve get hurt. Who the hell is replacing him? It's Mar- uh, Marcio Dubon and or Mauricio mm-hmm. Dubon and David Hensley, who no nobody even knows about. So. Michael Brantley's her. All I'm saying is there's a little bit of a crack there where I can see who comes up next, right? So a lot of people would point to the Mariners. The Mariners, to me, are very much counting on a repeat from Julio Rodriguez and Ty France. If they do not get that, I think that bottom of the lineup is also very thin. Um, Now, they do have a very good bullpen, a very good starting rotation, so they probably are the likeliest ones to, to jump in front of Houston if needed, but my point is, long story short, I liked what Texas had done. I think they have a lot of nice young players. Josh Jung coming up, um, some people a little bit further down the line. I think they have seven bona fide starting pitchers now, a pretty decent bullpen. I like how they've mixed and matched, um, you know, even down to like Brad Miller as like a lefty platoon or righty platoon guy. Um, so, sorry, I kind of went on a tangent there. That is my favorite long shot division winner on the bet, on the board, though. Uh, Texas. Um, and I, I feel like it's a hot take because literally everybody loves the Astros world yep. series, favorite, series, favorite Astros. So I just kind of wanted to get those two on the board as long shots, Christian Yelich and NL MVP, Texas Rangers, uh, AL West division winners. You can double your money just to bet the Rangers to make the playoffs. You can just flat out double your money. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I could look like a total idiot at the end of this, but I just I, I want to look at where there's a little bit of meat on the bone. I think it te- I got that at 10 to one. I don't I think it's at 11 to one now, maybe. Um, so, yeah, that's just uh, where my head's at with those ones. So play ball, man. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Mike.